Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. It's really lovely for us both to be sharing with you today. And I'm going to bring the Bible reading today before Nick comes up to speak. And it's from Acts chapter 4. And it's just moving on from chapter 3, where the lame man was healed during the ministry of Peter and John. So Acts chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. But as for us, We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. And may our precious Lord grant us understanding of His wonderful Word. And Lord Jesus, I pray as Nick comes up now, Would you encourage us all and encourage his heart to speak boldly in your name, Jesus. Thank you for every precious person in this place. And thank you that we are all loved by you, our precious heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amanda. Hey, good morning, Lobethal. What a great town this is, hey? Adelaide Hills are beautiful. Who lives in the Adelaide Hills? Most of you, yeah. I live in the Adelaide Hills now too. I grew up in Adelaide for about the first 20 years of my life, but um, then kind of went to Sydney and then for a little while, then Melbourne for about 28 years and now back and uh, really enjoying being here in the Adelaide Hills, Being even though I grew up down the beach. Um, kind of the beach or the mountains. That's, that's a nice spot. Everywhere in between, oh, you know, it's all right, but the beach or the mountains. As we were driving here this morning um, through the hills from Mount Barker where we live, um, just looking out at the vista and seeing the, the rolling hills and, and just saying, I just said that psalm, you know, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And, and I always think as I look at hills, when you look at mountains and you think of that psalm 121, it, the mountain is where heaven and earth intersect. Um, and, and I can imagine the psalmist who originally prayed that and wrote that prayer uh, in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And he's reminded, oh, that's right. The one who helps me is the one who made the heavens. You can see the heavens, you know, above the mountains. Oh, and, and he made the mountains. He made the earth. It's like surely my little life this God who made the heavens and who made the earth, surely he's able to help me. Surely he gets me. Surely he understands what's happening in my life and I can trust in him. That was just a free message. That's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. (laughs) We're going to talk about Acts chapter 4. We're in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church. You know, like the 
four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're like the biographies of Jesus. The book of Acts is the biography of the early church. We get this little snapshot into what was it like for the first Christians? What did they do? What did they say? What did the church look like? And to be honest, sometimes when I read the book of Acts, I get church envy. I get you know, this sense of, oh man, it was so exciting and it was so dynamic and stuff was happening all the time and they were being arrested and thrown in prison and the angels were appearing and releasing them from prison and people were rising up and being healed and, and thousands were coming to faith and you get this kind of church envy as a pastor. But keep in mind too that it's a, it's a collation, it's a, um, a collection and... Uh, you know, a condensed version of, of the early church. It's like picking out the, the highlights and what God wanted us to know. Uh, the author Luke, who wrote the book uh, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, you know, not everything is there um, that happens, but the main things that God wants us to know. In this passage today, I think there's some things that God wants us to know as a church, as, uh, as followers of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not, that's okay. You're very welcome to be here. Uh, church is open if you're searching, inquiring, or have questions, or just really sceptical. You're welcome. And we welcome your questions and your thoughts, and we'd love to chat and talk and have a coffee. I don't know, can you have a beer in Lobethal? I guess there's the beer house, you know, and talk about Jesus and work it out together. So um, here we are, this healing has happened and the apostles, Peter and John, have been hauled before the authorities. They've been thrown in jail overnight. They're released. Uh, and interestingly, the authorities don't say to Peter and John, will you stop healing people? Will you stop doing miraculous signs and wonders? They say, stop talking about Jesus. We don't want you to talk about him. We don't want to hear about him. We don't want to know about his name. We want to forget him. Just don't talk about Jesus. Imagine a culture, a society, where people got upset and angry when people talked about Jesus. Imagine that. We can't imagine that, right? Now, we can talk freely about Jesus, but we also live in a culture and a society where not everyone's happy and celebrating and saying, yeah, get the balloons and the streamers for the Christians as they talk about Jesus. No, not everyone's happy about Jesus being taught or proclaimed. I lived 28, 29 years in Melbourne, um, and there was a time there when you could go into primary schools. It was in the curriculum, you know, the, the, it was actually an act in Parliament where schools could provide half an hour of Christian education um, per week, maybe two lots of half an hour. And schools would have that. And as long as there were some students who wanted to do that and people who were happy to teach, that could happen. Well, a government came in a number of years ago and decided we're going to get rid of that because some people in schools, like two in my local primary school, I remember there was two people out of like 300 parents or whatever, it was a big school, um, who weren't happy about Christian education and they fought it and they rallied and they started getting people together and so they stopped talking about Jesus in that primary school. So it does happen. So what I want us to know from this passage this morning, the first thing is expect persecution. The early church um, was persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Um, I'm starting on the slides now if someone's with me. Yep. Um, and this is what happened. They put them in jail and then they threatened them. And these weren't idle threats. 
This wasn't just like your local, you know, Lions Club or Rotary Club committee saying we'd prefer you not to do this or the local council issuing some bylaws. This was the authority uh, under um, which they had power to put them in jail. They had power to hand them over to the Romans, which is what they did to to Jesus, of course. So these were dangerous threats that they were told, don't speak about Jesus. But Jesus, being wonderful as he is, he had already prepared them for this. Three years, the disciples were with Jesus, learning from him, being taught by him. He would already prepared them. So they're like, yeah, we expected this to happen. We expected to be persecuted because Jesus told us about this. So the next slide, um, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 15, not long before he um, went to be Uh, with the Father before he died and then was raised to life. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world, the system, society of the world, hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and they did they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, some of them did, they will obey yours also. So they're ready. They're like, we were expecting this. So they're not really fussed. They're, you know, it's inconvenient being put in jail. It's not nice to be threatened, let's face it. No one likes physical threats or have their livelihood taken away. But Luke, in his gospel, the next slide, he, um, Jesus said, had already spoke to him again, and Luke records that. But before all this, says Jesus, they will seize you, which is just what happened to Peter and John. They seized them. They will persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues, that's the, the religious rulers, and put you in prison. So Peter and John are in prison. They're going, yeah, remember when Jesus said, this is what's going to happen? They're like, yeah, it's happening. How cool is that? And you will be brought before kings and governors, and they're being brought before the authorities, and all account on my name. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. What a job description Jesus gives the disciples. It's like, okay, here's, here's what I've got in mind. I'm going to change the world. I've got a, a job to do for my Father, to give my life for the salvation of the world. God is going to raise me to life again. And then you're going to be the ones to go out and make this message known. You're going to go out and tell all the nations who I am, what I've done, that I'm coming again to judge the living and the dead. And people aren't going to like you. You might lose some Instagram followers. You could lose some Facebook friends. Actually, some of you, might lose your life. And they're like, great, let's sign up. Sounds fantastic, Jesus. Who would do that, right? Who in their right mind would want to do this? No way. i got plans. i got priorities. i got things I want to achieve. Jesus, I don't want to lose my life, but this is what he told them, and here they are doing it. And in just a few chapters, the first follower of Jesus will be put to death for their faith in Jesus. And that's Stephen. And we hear about him in chapter 6 or thereabouts. So Jesus had warned them, expect persecution. 
Expect persecution. And so they are, pers- this fly's persecuting me right now. And as Christians, we can get a little bit kind of, we live in a very easy culture for Christians. I know that sometimes we feel as though we're being oppressed and persecuted in, in Australia and, you know, you see in the media and, you know, we feel like we're kind of hard done by. And in some ways, yeah, sure, that happens. But there are literally Christians in the world right now today who are in jail. They are in jail and their crime is that they are Christians. There are Christians today that are being harassed, beaten, um, abused. The reason is because they are followers of Jesus. In our world today, not just hundreds, not just thousands, not even tens of thousands, but there are hundreds of thousands, maybe more, Christians in our world who are suffering severe and oppressive persecution for their faith in Jesus. And by God's grace, they are standing firm. And I'm like, you know, gosh, it's hard to get to church at 9.30. I'm really suffering for the Lord. Um, You know, we can feel as though life is tough and hard, but globally we're doing pretty well. So let's use this freedom that we have. Let's use this opportunity that we have to serve the Lord. And so they expected persecution, but they also knew something else that Jesus taught them, and that was to express prayer. They were a praying church, a praying people, because Jesus was a praying church. Jesus was, he wasn't a praying church, he was a praying man, and he formed a praying church. You look at the start of the book of Acts, they all joined together, the whole church, constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I love that little cameo of Mary. It's the last time you see her in the Bible or hear about her. She's an amazing woman, a wonderful woman, but the Bible never says we should pray to her. Um, But it does say that she was with the believers praying to God through her son, who she gave birth to, who is the son of God. That's amazing. There's a lot in that. We won't go into it. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is a description of the church. And to prayer, to fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayer, sorry. That's the church was devoted to prayer. When they heard this, the threats that that they've just heard from Peter and John, they come back to the church. This is how they respond. They express prayer. They raise their voices together in prayer. Now, it's interested to hear this morning that we need someone to do screen and someone to do sound, and we do. And I believe that today God is going to raise up people to serve in this church and do those things. But we also need people who get here early and pray and pray together for what God wants to do Sunday by Sunday and through this church because this was the strength of the early church. They prayed together. And they've heard these threats. Imagine the fear that some of them might have been feeling. They are human beings. They weren't superhuman. There's concern. People have children. People are concerned about their livelihood. These are real threats. And they would have been troubled by them. And they gathered together as a body, as a community. And they raised their voices to God in prayer. Now have a look at what they prayed. Let's check this out. They actually start their prayer. They say, Sovereign Lord. Interestingly, if you're into Greek words, and I am, the word they use is despota. You know what a despot is? A despot is like 
a, a powerful ruler who rules, you know, they, they say, Lord, you are the powerful ruler. You are the sovereign Lord. They start their prayer because they've just been taken before the rulers of their city, the rulers of their, um, their religion and been threatened. So they come to prayer and they're like, these rulers are nothing. We serve the sovereign Lord, the ruler above all rulers. And they start their prayer with this image of God, high and lifted up and powerful. And then check this out. They say, you made the heavens and the earth. Like the Psalm I quoted earlier, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. God, you made everything in them. And they declare God as creator, sovereign ruler over all the nations, creator of the heavens and the earth. And that's a great way to start prayer rather than just kind of, oh, you know, dribbling into your coffee as you pray in the morning. It's, it's like get a vision of who God is. Get a vision of how great He is. And that's why reading the Psalms, there's 150 prayers there. If you're struggling with prayer and you don't know what to pray, God's given you 150 there already. Get into it, pray them, use them, because these guys are immersed in their Bible. They're immersed in the Old Testament. They know the Scriptures, so they know how to pray. And so they, they know who God is. And then they quote the Bible to God. Psalm 2, it's an amazing psalm. It's a psalm that is a messianic psalm that talks about God sending His Son, the Saviour, the Messiah. It talks about, um, just go back one, it talks about the anointed one, um, the, the, the anointed one being the Messiah. And the psalm is King David saying, why do the nations rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Do you know the Hebrew for anointed, it translated into Greek, is Messiah or Christ. That's a psalm that talks about the coming Christ. And so they pray this psalm to God because Jesus has come. Jesus has done the work and they know him and they're not afraid. And this psalm goes on to say, the next slide, thanks. Um, and it echoes Psalm 59.8. I love this. The rest of the psalm, part of it goes, the, the one enthroned in heaven, God, he laughs. The Lord scoffs at these self-important rulers, these human despots, these corrupt or not even corrupt, these people who think they're powerful on earth, God laughs at them. He laughs at Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, powerful rulers in our world who can do great harm and damage for a time. But the perspective of how great God is, how big God is, he laughs at them. And then Psalm 59, but you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at those nations that are against you and your people and your purposes. So this gives them courage. As they pray, they recall the scriptures that they know and they go, guys, don't worry. Don't be afraid. God is amazing. God is powerful. God is almighty. He is above all the nations. He is above all the rulers. And he looks at these rulers who just threatened us, King Herod, Pontius Pilate. He looks at the emperor and he laughs. He's not afraid of them. He's not worried by them. So don't you be either. 
So they continue to express their prayer. And I love what they pray at the end. Look at this next slide. Now, Lord, consider their threats. (laughs) Um, Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, Lord, to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, let's be real here. If it was me, this would have been my prayer. Lord, protect me. (laughs) Keep me safe. Lord, preserve my life. I don't want to be killed. I don't want any trouble. Protect me, Lord. Give me travelling mercies. That would have been my prayer. Lord, you know, we're going to bunker down here and just be quiet and we just want to live our quiet lives and live our little Christian world bubble here and do our thing. We don't want any trouble. Just protect me, Lord. Keep me safe. Bless my family. Let's just keep it simple. Listen to what they pray. They're like, Lord, consider their threats. They're threatening to kill us. Lord, we want you to consider their threats. And we want to tell you, because of you, we're not worried about those threats. What we want, Lord, what is most important is we want your word to go out. We want people to know Jesus, to meet him, to be saved by him. We want you to do your work through us, Um, Lord. So just give us power. Give us the strength to speak your word, to do your work on earth, because that's what's most important. That's what our hearts are for. I love what Tom Wright, he's a um, biblical commentator, he writes about this passage. He said, The church, that's us, needs to learn in every generation what it means to pray with confidence like this. We do not go looking for persecution. But when it comes, whatever form, it certainly concentrates the mind and sends us back to the Scriptures and casts us on God's mercy and power. The church needs again and again that sense of God's powerful presence shaking us up, blowing away the cobwebs, filling us with the Spirit and giving us that same boldness. Does anyone here need the cobwebs blown away? become weary and just we need a fresh infilling of God's power, a fresh sense of his presence to do his work. It's hard enough just to live in this world as it is, let alone as a Christian. It is challenging and the Christian needs lots of power and grace from God because we want to live for Jesus, we want to be like Jesus, we want to serve Jesus, and the Spirit of God gives us power to save us, to help us live like Jesus, and to help us serve Jesus. And if we try and do that in our own strength, we try and accomplish that in our own intelligence and capability, we'll fall flat and we'll get tired and we'll get weary. And the church, the early church, they expected persecution. And they expressed prayer as a reflex to God. Is that our first reflex? You'll notice in that story, the leaders, the religious leaders who aren't followers of Christ, they confer together. They gather together and they work out together what they're going to do about this Jesus people. But the church gets together. They don't talk about the problem around and around and around and appoint various committees to solve it. They talk to God because they have access to God through Jesus. And so when they come together, so as a church, when we face challenges, as a family, as a Christian, when you face challenges, 
Let prayer be a first reflex. I know you all agree with that if you're Christians, but watch yourself. I see it in myself. It's like there's an issue, there's a challenge. Okay, I have to work harder. I have to think harder. I have to try harder. And some of that will come into it. But actually, I just need to pray. There's a prayer I've been praying this last week from one of the Psalms. It might be Psalm 31. And it's this beautiful prayer. And it says, Lord, instruct me and teach me in the way I should go. Counsel me with your loving eye on me. And I've been saying that in my prayer. Lord, I want, to, I want you to instruct me. You're a parent. You're working. God knows more about parenting and your work than you do. He knows more about pastoring than I do. Um, he knows more about everything than we do. He can help us. He can instruct us. But like the early church, we need to express prayer and we need to expect God to answer. To, we need to listen to his answers. So they expected persecution. They expressed prayer. And then they experienced power. They experienced power as a church. And Jesus had said this in Acts in the first part. The risen Jesus had said, hey guys, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In other words, don't try and do this in your own strength. Don't try and be the church or be a Christian just by trying really hard. God will give you power to be what he wants you to be and do what he wants you to do. And then in Acts chapter 4, here where we are, they pray. The place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, interestingly, in Acts 2, when the Spirit came, they were all filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. So that was kind of an initial pouring out of the Spirit on the church. But the church, Christians, we need God's Spirit again and again. We need to be continually filled with God's Spirit because we leak. And we need to be filled afresh with God's grace and power. And then um, the, the follow-on here is with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. This comes from a church that's ready for persecution. They don't care. I'm, my life is secure in Jesus. My life is secure in him. Do what you want, world. Take your best shot. I'm not going to stop following him. I'm not going to stop serving him and speaking. They're prepared. They've made a decision to follow Jesus, to live for him, and it gives them such peace and such confidence. I tell you the worst place to be in life, Christian world, is, is half in, half out. It's like you're kind of partly committed, but you're not really. You partly believe, but you're not really sure. You're just keeping a bit of a reserve there just in case I need to get out of this. But no, commit. Be in, follow, make a decision and get that peace and get that certainty of knowing I trust him with my life. He's trustworthy. And so they've made that decision. They pray, they know how to pray. They're praying together and now they're experiencing God's power um, and they're going out in his name to proclaim his work. And this gives them courage and boldness. Have a look at what happens that, when Peter and John were being interviewed by the authorities, these were the elite, intellectually powerful people of the culture. And Peter and John were just fishermen, remember? Or at least Peter was. Was John a fisherman? I don't know. He might have been a librarian. Who knows? But he, he didn't have some, you know, like he wasn't a professor of theology. He wasn't a religious leader. They're just normal folk. And yet the authorities are like, 
These guys are amazing. Something about these guys, they're courageous. And it's the same word there, courage and great boldness. It's exactly the same word, just different context. And so they're courageous. The church was courageous because they expected persecution. They didn't like it. They didn't go looking for it. But it's like, hey, we trust Jesus. He's trustworthy. They expressed prayer and they experienced power in their lives for living and for witness to Christ. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Now, just a a quick look here. I just want to have a quick look at signs and wonders because they did signs and wonders and we should pray for God to do what God does and if people are, are unwell and going through situations that are tough, let's pray for God to move. But remember the warning from Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, and this is really quite a warning, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? And then I will tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Christianity is about intimacy with God through Jesus. It's about knowing him, loving him, walking with him. And God does powerful things. Salvation is a powerful thing. The fact that you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, that's a miracle. That's a powerful deed of God in your life. And salvation is offered to all. And and all are welcome to receive that message of Christ through faith. But in this world, even the lame man who was healed, raised from his lameness, what a wonderful thing. But he eventually died, right? Christians eventually die. But we get the kingdom. We get the kingdom of heaven. We get his grace for eternity. So let's not be fixated on signs and wonders. Let's pray, let God be God. But listen to this. The signs lead to a saviour. The miracles lead to a messiah. The wonders lead to worship. And let's not get fixated on them. Let's get fixated on God who does great things and can do great things. And let's continue to proclaim his word. Because they go out, you notice in this whole passage, if you've read the the rest of the, the part of the lame man being healed, They use this as an opportunity to proclaim who Jesus is. And I'll just quickly show you what the first two sermons of the church looked like. I haven't got long to go. But the first two sermons, this is exactly what the content was in Peter's first two sermons in the book of Acts. He explained Old Testament scripture, so they expounded the Bible. He talked about God the Father. He talked about the life of Jesus of Nazareth, his death for our sins, his resurrection, his lordship, his messianic status. He talked about the Holy Spirit being promised to those who believe in Jesus. He talked about the need to repent, to turn around from the way I'm living now, to change my thinking about God, to follow Jesus and have my sins forgiven. He talked about that happening through faith in Jesus and he talks about judgment, that God will ultimately judge the living and the dead. And he will restore all things. That's what the early church did, the first two sermons. And that's what the church continues to teach and preach. We don't change the message. We don't kind of just make it groovy because we want to make people happy. Not everyone's going to like. I didn't like when I became a Christian when I was 19 after being a very ignorant pagan for all of my 19 years um, and living a very unchristian life. I didn't like finding out that I was in danger of judgment. 
I didn't like finding out that I was actually a sinful person, though I knew it. I knew it. I knew I was, and as I started to hear about God, I remember being frightened initially. I thought, wow, there is a God who I'm accountable to, a God who will hold me to account. I need to be right with him. How do I get right with him? How do I be forgiven? And the good news is that Jesus offers that right. He offers grace and forgiveness for those who come to him. And all of this, um, the the prayer, the persecution, the power that they experience comes through the name of Jesus. You look in the book of Acts right through. They keep proclaiming his name. Um, The miracles done in the name of Jesus Christ. They say to the authorities, it's by faith in the name of Jesus that this man is, is healed. It is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Salvation is found in no other name under heaven that is given to mankind which we can be saved. Now, that's not popular. That's fairly a strong, exclusive claim. Well, it doesn't need to be popular. Is it true? And that's what we're proclaiming. That is true. And then they pray in their prayer time, Lord, Do your work, signs and wonders, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The church was all about Jesus. Jesus had prepared them for persecution. They were prepared to pay a cost to follow him. They were prepared to even lose their lives for his sake. I struggle with that big time. I'm like, sure, I can get up early to go to church, but I don't know about losing my life, Lord. Um, I don't mind going to the odd prayer meeting or whatever it might be, but this is getting a bit much, Jesus. But if he is everything, if he is the sovereign one, if he's the one who will be with for eternity, this little earthly life, a bit of suffering, we're going to forget about it soon enough in heaven. So as we come to communion, as I bring this to a close, because preachers always need to land this plane somewhere, um, I want us to, to think about this. Jesus himself expected persecution and he was persecuted he wasn't surprised to go to the cross that wasn't like something that he told the disciples early on in his ministry that he would be brutally killed that he would lose his life he would give his life he expected to be persecuted and Jesus expressed prayer. He was a man of prayer. He spent whole nights in prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed with such intensity and fervent prayer that he sweat drops of blood. He was a man of prayer. He expressed prayer. And Jesus experienced God's power after he was killed. God raised him from the dead on the third day. He experienced the power of God who raised him from the dead. Listen to this last, um, the last slide there. Fix, this is the author of Hebrews. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the sovereign God, the throne of God. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus knows what it's like to be persecuted. Jesus knows what it's like to rely on prayer 
and to have God as your help and your strength. And Jesus knows what it's like to experience God's power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that you give us. We thank you that you are working in this world, moving by your power. Lord, thank you that little group of 120 people in the first chapter of the book of Acts is now a global movement of hundreds of millions of believers in hundreds of nations and hundreds of languages and tongues. Thank you, God, that you are moving in this world to bring about your purposes, to bring about righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, to bring your kingdom. Lord, we thank you that we are a part of that, that in and through Jesus we can have salvation We can know that we belong to you, that we are forgiven, that we have a future filled with hope. Lord, thank you that the most adventurous, exciting, purposeful life is in you, that there's nothing in this world that will ultimately last apart from your great love and power. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for this This group of people, Lord, who are serving you here, I pray, Lord, that you would raise up more people to pray together here, Lord, that this would be a church community that doesn't worry about persecution, that gets about praying together and expressing prayer to you and experiences your power. Father, would you send your spirit afresh today? I know there's people here, Lord, who are struggling. I know there's people that are dealing with things that that only they know of. Um, But you know, Lord, you know the challenges and the struggles, the difficulties that people are having, Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would bring your word of comfort, your word of peace, your word of power to bless and to strengthen, to heal, to encourage in the name of Jesus. And as we come around your table, Lord, help us see with our eyes and hear with our ears and feel with our heart the power of your love, that you gave yourself in love for us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. I think that the team will come up, I think, we'll, uh, in a moment. But I, I wonder how you do communion here at Labethal, because I have no idea. But I'm, I'm figuring it's your only your second time. All right, well, let's do something new then. Um, let's make it up as we go along. Uh, what we'll do is um, I'll ask for two volunteers uh, either side and um, do that in just a moment. And then someone can hold the cup, someone can hold the bread and you'll come up and partake of that. Take it back to your seat and in your own time, in your own way, eat the bread, drink the cup. But just so you know, just quickly what we're doing here, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he was sharing a meal with his small band of followers his disciples, and he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. That's persecution, right? This represents my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And when you eat this bread, remember me. Remember me. Because we forget Jesus. We forget how good he is. And he took the cup at that same meal and he, he prayed and thanked God for the cup. And he said, this represents my blood, my death for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink 
And when you drink this cup, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. And the Apostle Paul said it this way. As long as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember and proclaim the Lord's death for us until he comes again. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So if you love the Lord Jesus and you would like to love him more, I invite you to the table. He invites you to his table. Maybe this could be a chance for you if, if you've been thinking about following Jesus or wondering about Jesus, or maybe you've wandered off from Jesus and it's time to come back and recommit. Come to the table. Come to the Lord's table. Take the cup. Take the bread and remember Jesus. So I can be one volunteer over here with someone and if we can have two over that side. And just come down when you're ready. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.